you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewellery or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My microphone got caught on the way up, and so we're going to do some microphone management here. Success. Hey, uh, it is good to gather together this morning as the people of God. Amen. Uh, Particular welcome to you if uh, you are joining us here in the room. So good uh, to gather together. And likewise, those who can't be in the room but are joining us online, uh, we are glad that you can follow along. Uh, Particular welcome if you're new with us, uh, whether online or in the room, uh, we are glad that you're here and we hope and trust that being part of our gathering today will help you to know Jesus better. Uh, My name is Dave, it is my honour to serve as the lead pastor of this church and my privilege uh, to open up God's Word uh, and consider it together in a moment. Uh, Before we look at God's Word, uh, two further bits of family news. The first uh, is, uh, have a look at the screen. Look at this. It's Mike Jontek. Let's say congratulations, Mike. Congratulations, Mike. Uh, Mike just graduated on Thursday night from Queensland Theological College. Uh, He has a Master's in Divinity. Uh, That is a massive achievement, so well done, Mike. Uh, You and Sarah have made many sacrifices to be better equipped to be faithful leaders in Christ's church. Uh, And Mike, on behalf of everyone, we we are thankful to God for you, Uh, for your work on our team, for the many examples of growth as uh, the community pastor in our church. There's so much growth in our church community. There's width with more people connecting in. Uh, There's depth with people going deeper in maturity in Christ. Uh, And so I'm personally thankful to God for you, Mike, uh, for Sarah, uh, and also for your girls. Uh, They are a godly example among us as they are passionate about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Uh, Second, Uh, I wanted to take a moment to update you on where things are up to regarding vaccination passports and church gatherings. The last couple of years, uh, particularly the last couple of months, have been disrupted uh, by the spread of coronavirus and more recently uh, the vaccine mandates. And I'm thankful for how members of our church have walked through this season. At the end of November, we gathered together with people in our church who were vaccine-hesitant uh, and or concerned about being um, 
uh, about what being unvaccinated would mean for church gatherings. Um, I love this verse from today's teaching text. We'll talk about it in more detail soon. But uh, 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. I am so thankful to God for His work in our midst and the many examples of unity, sympathy, love, tender hearts, and humility that are on display across our church in this time. Now, in Queensland, uh, churches are exempt from complying with the same vaccine passport restrictions of most other businesses and organisations in our state. However, uh, we don't meet in a traditional church building, we meet in a cinema, and so we have had to abide by the restrictions of this venue. Uh, We thank God for His provision uh, of the Seventh-day Adventist Church uh, across the road. Uh, We've been having our night services there without vaccine passports. That has been a gift. We're thankful to God. We're thankful to that church for how accommodating they have been. Uh, And we also thank God for the successful advocacy with one of our state's deputy chief health officers. In fact, in response to our advocacy, she changed the rules for churches meeting in public venues to allow for no vaccine passports, providing no other members of the public were on site at the same time. Uh, So we're thankful for that, and we have therefore been discussing how to make this work with Palace Cinemas. Uh, Now, having morning church online during January uh, delayed those discussions. Uh, They were then disrupted further in February with the cinema closed for a week during the massive week of rain and uh, two weeks ago again we had morning church online as well. Uh, Mike's already said it last week, um, good news, no more masks. This week, good news, no more registration. Next week, we're praying for some good news. We hope to have our 8.30am service passport free from next week. Now to make this happen, Uh, We will have a streamlined 60-minute service uh, and then have 10 minutes for all of us to be out of the building at the end so that the cinema can open up uh, and get going with their movies for the day. Kids will remain in City Kids for the entire service. Uh, Now, we've done this before uh, and we can do it again. And hey, you're here at 10.30 and so uh, you can come to the longer service at 10.30 where we won't have to rush out in the same way. Uh, There are costs involved in this, but these costs I think are worthwhile so that some families will be able to join us together again on Sunday mornings. Uh, And hopefully, prayerfully, as restrictions continue to ease, we won't have to do this for long. Uh, Now, uh, just quickly, having to be out of the building quickly impacts our post-church community. Uh, We had one idea uh, to kind of, if we can't hang out in here for long after the 8.30 service, is to mingle out in the concourse where people are free to mingle after the service, grab a coffee, keep encouraging one another. Uh, Next steps, Uh, we haven't confirmed this yet, but we'll send this information out tomorrow via email. If you don't get our emails, uh, subscribe via koa.co slash briz. Uh, We would love to hear your feedback. We'd also love to hear any creative ideas on how to continue in community after the 8.30 service. Uh, We then hope to be in a position to send out another email by Wednesday with concrete plans for next Sunday. Sound good? Great, 1.3 people. (laughs) Uh, These, um, hey, these last couple of years, I think, have taught us that we are not in control. And so may these circumstances, as 2022 continues to roll on, uh, cause us to depend all the more on the God who is in control. And let's be praying um, and continuing to bring these matters before our Father in prayer. Hey, I've got some more good news for you. Uh, God speaks. That's good news. Amen? Why don't we uh, reflect upon His Word now by praying for our time in it. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we are thankful that You indeed do speak. And we ask that You'd give us faith to receive Your Word And that by the power and the illumination of your Holy Spirit, you would give us the understanding to know what it means, that you would put within us the will to put it into practice. And Father, we pray this boldly and confidently through Jesus Christ, our risen, ruling and returning King. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, this weekend I made some life choices that you may 
be disappointed in. Yesterday, I sat down to watch some of Netflix's latest reality TV show, Byron Bays. <laughs> he did. He went there. He watched it. Uh, now, uh, if you haven't heard of uh, Byron Bays, uh, it is set just south of the Queensland border uh, at Byron Bay. And Byron Bays is an exploration on social media star culture. Uh, in Byron Bay, a place that is full of entrepreneurialism, lifestyle, health choices, and crystals. What's with the crystals? They're everywhere on Byron Bays. I assume they must be everywhere in Byron Bay. Uh, according to Netflix, the creators, they said this, that they want the show to explore the tension between how we present ourselves online and who we really are underneath. It was fascinating to watch. When everything is about the externals, when everything is about appearance, you just see insecurity bubble up to the surface. There's this constant fear of uh, each of the people on Byron Bays of what other people think of them. There's therefore a lack of trust in relationships and not quite sure what he thinks of me or what she thinks of me or how we can get through this. You know, if you spend any time on social media, you'll know that so much of social media is about externals. It's not about what's going on within, it's about the appearance and the veneer of what's going on on the outside. Now, what does God have to say about the outside and outward appearance? Well, perhaps you remember at the time of King David, who was a shepherd boy at the time, being anointed to be God's chosen king. Remember these words from 1 Samuel 16, it said, for the Lord sees not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You know, David was discounted because he wasn't as big and as strong and as menacing looking as his brothers. And yet, the Lord sees the heart. David was a man who was after God's own heart. You see, the heart matters. And the heart matters more than outward appearance. God looks to the heart. You know, in today's Bible passage from 1 Peter chapter 3, we will see that godly character matters more than appearance. The inner life matters more than the veneer of the outer life. We are continuing in this 1 Peter series uh, if you've got a Bible, keep it out, keep it open. We'll be spending most of our time in 1 Peter chapter 3. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, in particular, we see some instructions for wives and for husbands. And the call to wives and to husbands is a call to obey God, to be godly, because godliness matters. The call for all of us this morning, whether we are husbands, whether we are wives, whether we are old, whether we are young, whether we are single, whether we are married, all of God's people, the call upon us is to embrace a godly character. And so we're going to consider the godly character of four different people. The godly character of four different people. Ready for them? First one, for those taking notes, number one is the godly character of Christ. The godly character of Christ. Now, before we consider wives and women and husbands and men, it's worth looking to the character of Christ. Reminder of context, this week's sermon uh, is kind of part three on a, on a kind of a section across chapters two and chapter three that's all about a household code. That is how followers of Jesus will relate differently in different relationships. And those relationships are shaped by their new identity in Christ. We won't read it all, but just quickly turn back with me to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 13 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to 
every human institution. There's a call there to be subject to governments. Look down at verse 18, servants be subject to your masters with all respect. Be subject to masters. And then we we turn over to chapter 3, verse 1, be subject to your own husbands. There's There's this repeated call to be subject in the context of different relationships for the Lord's sake, out of respect. And last week, and we're not going to spend long here, if you missed last week's sermon, uh, check it out on YouTube or on the podcast, Um, but the last part of chapter 2 is really pivotal verses in this whole section, in the context of relating to the government, in the context of relating to a master, in the context of relating to a husband, we see at the centre of this passage is the example of Christ Jesus. Pick it up with me, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin." and live to righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We get a stunning example of Christ. We see in Christ, these verses here are a beautiful summary in many senses of the gospel of Christ. What do we learn about Christ and His gospel in these verses? Well, He is the one who lived the perfect life. He always entrusted Himself to His Father who judges justly. You know, the the final verse describes us as sheep who have gone astray, and yet Jesus is perfect. Jesus is righteous. And in His perfection, in His righteousness, Jesus goes all the way to the cross He dies a sacrificial death on our behalf. He bore our sins in His body on that tree. He took the punishment that we deserve for our sin and rebellion. But death could not hold Jesus down. He rose from the grave. And the final verse there, we can return to God. We can return to the shepherd, the overseer of our souls. What a wonderful example we have in Jesus. Before we get into the details of chapter 3 this morning, can I urge you to look to Christ? Look, you might be new to the things of Christ. I hope you've even heard there's something very compelling about what Christ has done for you, about the sacrifice Christ has made for you, about the offer of healing, not just healing from an injury in this life, but a, a soul that is restored an eternal healing, an eternal forgiveness, an eternal reconciliation with the God who made you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad that you're here and our hope is even this section here has given you a glimpse of how wonderful He is and why He's worthy of our trust. But as those who are already trusting in Christ, let's continue to look to Him as the one who deals with our sin to bring us back to God and as the one who is the example for us, in how we are to relate to one another. Jesus is the best example of godliness. Jesus is the best example of one concerned more with inner beauty and the heart than outward adornment. And so, with the godly character of Christ up front, remembering the context, we move to number two, the godly character of women. The godly character of of women. Now, you'll notice that in my heading up on the screen, uh, it says the godly character of women. Now, this passage, as we'll reread it in a moment, is primarily about wives. And so, here's the thing though, while the specific things about marriage may not be relevant to an unmarried woman, the godly character traits The inner beauty is something that all women in Christ 
ought to aspire to. And so keep that in mind as we read, specifically considering wives, but there's clearly in the midst of this passage a clear call to embrace a beautiful inner life. Let's, uh, let's read through the whole paragraph again and then work our way back through it. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewellery or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. You know, there may well be um, some elements of that paragraph that are jarring, perhaps, to cultural sensibilities for us today. There, there, there might be verses in there that strike you as archaic, as missing the mark. But before we consider what it is saying... I want to be clear and make a couple of points about what it's not saying. Uh, this week, uh, there was news of a prominent church in the United States that historically uh, had forced a wife to return to her abusive husband. She reached out for help, she reached out for help, and she reached out for help from this church. It was horrifying to read the account and the way that rather than being helped, protected and cared for, this wife was publicly shamed in front of the whole church for not forgiving her husband. Her ex-husband is now serving 25 years in prison for his physical, emotional and sexual abuse. There have been churches, movements, pastors, leaders, husbands that have used this text to justify abuse, to justify staying in an abusive relationship with texts like this out and open. Can this text be used to justify abuse? Absolutely not. Uh, the following are some thoughts that I've uh, taken from a denomination uh, and kind of edited, um, uh, a particular denomination that wanted to correct some of the wrongs historically of how this passage has been misused. Listen carefully. The wrong meaning of this text is endure abuse to show your husband what Jesus is like. Wrong meaning. Endure abuse to show your husband what Jesus is like. Correct meaning. Respect your husband even if he is hostile to your faith. You see, 1 Peter 3 continues, as we've said at the start, the argument of 1 Peter 2. We, we've seen there in chapter 3, verse 1, likewise, means uh, that Peter is continuing his discussion of respect. Out of respect, slaves should uh, be subject to their masters, chapter 2, verse 18. Out of respect, wives should be subject to their husbands, chapter 3, verse 1, and as we'll read about in more detail in a moment, out of respect, husbands should be considerate of their wives, in chapter 3, verse 7. However, it's really important to understand the difference between the examples given in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Peter told slaves to suffer beatings patiently, like Jesus did, but he does not tell wives to suffer beatings. 
Wives are not slaves. You know, Jewish law and even the laws of the Romans did not permit wives to be beaten. The hardship the wife must endure in 1 Peter 3 is the hardship of being married to an unbelieving husband, not to an abusive husband. The passage does not teach wives to be subject to domestic abuse. Can you hear me? It is a wrong meaning to suggest from this text that women and wives are to endure abuse to show their husbands what Jesus is like. The correct meaning is respect your husband, even if he's hostile to your faith. City on a Hill, I want you to know that this church takes domestic abuse seriously. You will be taken seriously. And we will in no way use Scripture to further abuse. If you are currently or in the future finding yourself being abused by your husband, we would love to work out how to help you to get out of that horrible situation. As we continue in the text and and dig a little bit deeper over what this means. In verse 1 and 2, we, we read, Wives, um, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And so, particularly, this is in the context of an unbelieving husband. Uh, and in the context of an unbelieving husband, yes, words matter when it comes to proclaiming Christ. And yet, in this relationship and in the nuances of this relationship, uh, an unbelieving husband can be won without a word through the godly example of his wife, through her godly conduct, through her respectful nature, through her purity. But also, as you look down in verse 5 and 6, it says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Uh, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Uh, it's not just the unbelieving husband. Abraham was a believer. He's the father of the faith. Father Abraham. Uh, this is not just a message to those who are married to unbelieving husbands. This is a message to those who are married to believing husbands. Just quickly, that note there where it says, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening, uh, what the heck does that mean? Uh, well, most commentators suggest that um, in the context, particularly of having a husband who's hostile to the faith, one who doesn't share your worldview and religion, just, again, it's not about physical abuse, but being able to, to live with that disagreement and to be able to be strengthened by God uh, in the midst of sharing different worldviews and different faiths. But look, the, the centre of this text, as we, we see this command and this call for wives, uh, this example of Sarah, uh, is in the middle there, let's reread it again, verse 3, it says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewellery or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, kind of in this middle section here of the paragraph, uh, I think we have some pretty significant principles that are relevant for not just wives, uh, but indeed for women. Um, verse, and we've got the contrast between outward adornment and inward adornment. Now, verse 3, what are the outward adorning things that people look to? Hair, jewellery and clothes. These were certainly status symbols in the ancient world. I think they're also status symbols in our world. You know, a, a little scroll of Instagram will reveal hair and beauty products and jewellery and clothing are, are kind of prominent on many women's Instagram feeds. You know, add to that cars, add to that homes, add to that an aesthetic decor. There's, there's, there's very much an attraction to looking the part. 
it is easy for women to identify in the outward. Now, are men immune from this? Certainly not. Men are certainly capable of thinking only in the outward when it comes to themselves as well. And yet, it's highlighted here, and I think there is a prevalence among many women to work hard to look the part. On Byron Bay's, like, the worst thing possible is not looking the part, is not wearing the appropriate um, Byron Bay chic, is not fitting in. That is the worst in the world if you don't look the part. You know, when you kind of even scroll your friend's Instagram feed and you see some of the clothes and the brands that they are wearing, you see some of the renovations that they're making, the appliances they're getting in their homes and so on, you, you, you kind of have this competition almost to continue to work on the externals, to continue to build up the facade, to build up that which is external. You know, it, it, is the text saying, look, make sure your hair is disheveled? And so, ah, oh, someone's just walked into church with disheveled hair, they're, they're really godly. <laughs> oh, clearly no makeup, really godly. No, it's not saying that at all. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not saying that in and of themselves, things on the external are wrong, but if our hope is in the external, if our hope is in what we look like, how people see us, you know, it leads to great insecurity when women are thinking about, do I measure up? Am I enough? Do I look the part? You see, verse 4 helps to contrast that external beauty with that which really matters, that which God sees, that God honours, that God upholds. Have a look at verse 4 again, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Isn't that wonderful? The imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Imperishable. This is something that will go on into eternity. The, the hair, the jewellery, the clothes, the house renovation can be washed away in a flood. Is not imperishable, will not go in, on into eternity. But a godly character goes on into eternity. You, you see, when you know God and when you know that He knows you, when you know that He looks to your heart, you can know that your identity is secure. You don't have to look the part. You don't have to keep up with the Kardashians. You, you don't have to have everything lined up like that because we know that God looks to the inner self. And God's approval, He sees that this is precious. What do you want more? The approval of God or likes, shares, envy? I love it. Sam Sorms calls this, he says, adorn the soul. That's where the action is. Sisters, whether you are married or single, let me urge you this morning to turn from worldliness and worldly values and embrace godly values. Sister, you are secure in Christ. Know your security in Christ. Grow in your godliness the inner life in Christ. Very briefly, a word to men. Uh, let me urge you, men, again, whether you are married or single, let us men celebrate internal adornment. Let's stop measuring women, sisters, wives, within our church, within the world. Let's stop measuring by worldly external standards. Men, stop letting pornography shape your standard, warped standard of beauty. Single men in this church, pursue godly women. Get rid of your checklists. Get rid of your hair like this. Shoulder like this, boobs like this, butt like this. Get rid of those standards of beauty. Look for the godly women 
in your midst. My suggestion would be, you don't need to go on an app to find godly women. I'm not, not, a, not actually opposed to apps in general, though I've heard plenty of awful things regarding some of the fake, phony Christians posing on different dating apps. But brothers, you have a church with godly women all over the place. Godly women to encourage, godly women that would be worthwhile as wives, as fellow believers in Christ. And married men, be one who is worthy of submission. Men are never commanded to enforce submission. Any man who says, submit wife, he's a jerk. He is not worthy. I love this one commentator, she said, uh, when submission of the wife becomes the central issue, the image of Christian marriage has already been distorted. Uh, She says, a well-known evangelical leader is quoted as saying, I believe in a wife submitting to her husband, but I don't believe the husband ever has the right to demand it. In fact, I know when I'm unworthy of it, she does not. My responsibility as a husband is to be worthy. I love this example of a faithful wife who for many years stood by her unbelieving husband. Let me read an extended quote. This is the daughter describing this story. When my mother and father were married, she was a new believer and he had recently gone forward in a church service to receive Christ as his saviour. It became evident, however, that my dad had no interest in anything spiritual. So through the years, he would drive us to church and some years attend at Christmas. My mother faithfully lived for the Lord and taught us from the Word. When I was 13, she found out that my dad had been unfaithful. I can still remember a few days later, sitting at the kitchen table as she read to me from 1 Corinthians 7, if the unbelieving husband wishes to remain, let him remain. That settled it for her. Theirs was not a happy marriage, but we were a family. 29 years later, in a morning service in a small church on his 72nd birthday, my dad stood at the invitation and truly accepted Jesus as his saviour. We were all there and Kleenex was passed up and down the row. Uh, He was a changed man. He prayed, they had a Bible study in their home and six years later, he went to be with the Lord he loved, joined five years later by my mother. I praise the Lord for his faithfulness and for my mother's obedience to Scripture and faithful witness through the years. Now, just to make it really clear, she was well within her biblical rights to leave because of his unfaithfulness in the marriage. Well within her rights. Would not have been in the wrong. Certainly grievous, but not in the wrong. And yet she sticks it out, eventually winning her husband through her example. He hears the gospel of Christ. He sees the gospel of Christ. He falls on his knees before Jesus. What a wonderful example. Well, we've considered the godly character of Christ. We've considered the godly character of women. Third, we consider the godly character of men. Again, the title here is men, even though first and foremost, the application is to husbands. There are clearly principles here for all men. Have a look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. There's, um, there's a lot packed into that sentence. Men, husbands are called to live with their wives in an understanding way. What does that mean? With, with knowledge, in light of what they know about God, themselves and their wife. In light of what they know about the gospel, in light of what they know about their new identity together in Christ. And knowing who they are and who God is and who their bride is, they are to be loving, they are to be kind, they are to be compassionate, they are to be sacrificial. You know, the, the, the idea there, showing honour, not belittling, not patronising, 
not neglecting, but honouring publicly, honouring privately, living in such a way that they are honoured, that they are not shamed, but that they are revered, they are held up, they are loved in an honouring way. Now, it says, show honour to the woman as the weaker vessel. Ugh, weaker vessel. That might be awkward as well. And just to make it very clear, this is not talking about morally weaker. This is not talking about intellectually weaker. Uh, perhaps there, uh, particularly in the first century, there's a, there's a, a weaker, there's a vulnerability socially. Uh, there's a sense in which uh, women continue to be vulnerable uh, socially in our context, amplify that all the more in the first century. The most obvious way in which more or less, more often than not, men are typically physically stronger than women. That's not a particularly controversial biological fact to talk about. Uh, I, I'm conscious and, and have even chatted to women in our church over the years and um, conscious of what does it look like to walk at night time, recognising vulnerability? Um, there's times when I walk at night that I'm actually conscious that I'm pretty big and I don't want to scare someone. I'm, I'm conscious of the physical size of me and, and I'm, I'm conscious of um, even women who might be out walking, walking back from the station or, or whatever it might well be. I, I know that women will carry a set of keys kind of in their hand, ready as a weapon, a constant kind of maybe even talking on the phone because of a, a fear, a, a fear of how easily, perhaps physically, uh, they can be taken advantage of. The, the message is husbands, yeah, recognise there's at least some element of physical weakness, but don't therefore enforce your strength. Actually, use your strength to show honour, to show compassion to so, show kindness, to live in an understanding way. And, and you've, you've got to understand here, this is not talking about men and women are not equal. Husbands and wives are not equal. Look at the verse, the next phrase, it says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Husbands and wives who are both followers of Jesus are co-heirs of God's grace are one in Jesus Christ. We read in Galatians that there's neither slave nor free, uh, Jew nor Greek, male nor female, but are all are one in Christ. This is not an issue of equality. This is not an issue of one person being superior to the other. The husband and the wife who both belong to Jesus are equally created in the image of Jesus, uh, created in the image of God, fallen from the image of God and redeemed through Christ equally, co-heirs being remade in the image of Christ equally. You see, even this statement alone, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, ought to be a reminder, husbands, of how the gospel is at work in your life and in your wife's life how the gospel is to be at the centre of your relationship, of who you are as recipients of God's grace shown in Jesus. May the gospel shape our marriage relationships. Husbands among us, may we continue to hold that gospel in the middle, not lording over our brides, not treating them with dishonour and shame, but living in an understanding way, honouring them co-heirs in Christ. You know, that final phrase there is an interesting, it says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, there's, it's so that, there's, a, there's kind of a purpose clause there at one moment, like, hey, man, it matters how you live. You know, some have suggested, even as you jump down to verse uh, 11 and 12, you kind of, uh, 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 verse 10, 11 and 12, you've got this picture of God hearing the prayers of His people, but then there's those that God will not hear their prayers. His ears aren't open to the prayers of the wicked, to those who are not obeying, verse 7, and living in light of it. You know, and also I think, and a number of commentators suggest this as well, that the mentioning of prayers here uh, is again a reminder of the centrality of prayer in the context of marriage, and the importance of prayer in the context of marriage. 
Uh, I love what Wayne Grudem says. He says, no Christian husband should presume to think that any spiritual good will be accomplished by his life without an effective ministry of prayer. And no husband may expect an effective prayer life unless he lives with his wife in an understanding way, bestowing honour on her. It's a wonderful call of the, the, the godly character of men and husbands in particular is that we're people of prayer. I'm really thankful for my wife, Ro, for a thousand different reasons. But I'm thankful for the way that she takes the initiative in prayer, for the way that she encourages us as a family to pray. And I'm reminded by her initiative, now I need to take initiative too. I need to be on the front foot too. I need to be praying for her. I need to be praying with her. I need to be praying for my family and with my family. Husbands among us, do you pray with your bride? Do you pray for your bride? Uh, I stumbled on, it might be almost 10 years ago, but some incredible tools. Uh, Here are two books by Andrew Case. On the left, we have Water of the Word, Intercession for Her, and on the right, we have Prayers of an Excellent Wife. Uh, I haven't really looked at this purple one much. Um, That one's not written for me. Uh, I own it. I haven't looked at it much, uh, but understand it's excellent. I've looked at this one a lot. I use this every single week. Uh, There's a a hundred or so prayers um, in this book uh, that are are all about praying for your wife. And I regularly pray these by myself. I regularly pray these with Roe. I regularly take a screenshot and say, I just prayed this one for you. I love it. I don't know, like as you think about praying for anyone, Scripture helps to shape our prayers. And some of the profound things... Uh, that are in this book. They're just Bible passages turned into prayers for your bride. Bible passages turned into prayers for your husband. Uh, A really amazing way to have Scripture shape what we pray and the centrality of prayer. Uh, Men, husbands and men, let's embrace the godly call on our lives in the way that we treat women, in the ways that we honour, in the way that we uh, live with knowledge in the way that we, we know of the grace that is ours in Jesus, as we keep the gospel at the centre of our relationships and as we pray. Men in general, husbands in particular, embrace the call of the godly character for all who belong to Jesus. Number one, the godly character of Christ. Number two, the godly character of women and wives. Godly. Uh, number three, the godly character of men and husbands, and the fourth and final thing, most briefly, is the godly character of all God's people. Um, Now, we won't spend long here, we'll even just read the first verse in this section, Uh, some of the themes in the rest of that paragraph actually flow into next week's passage as well, but let let me read verse 8, it says, "'Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind.'" You see, while there's a certain expectation on wives and a certain expectation on husbands, while there's certain principles available for all women and principles available for all men, this final, this final paragraph, we see the call for mutual love and respect in general among the people of God, unity, united together, sympathetic to one another. Brotherly love is the idea of love within the family. There's a tenderness, a tenderness within the heart that we are to have to each other as the people of God, to feel generous in the depths of our being. Sam Storm says this, he says, Peter is calling not for uniformity, but rather for sharing the same spiritual values, recognising, contending for the same theological truths, proclaiming the same gospel, and most important of all, being devoted to and passionate about the same Christ and His supremacy and glory. There's a call here on every single one of us here who belongs to Jesus. A call here to humility in our midst, lowliness. You know, lowliness and humility was a vice in the ancient world, but it is a virtue among the people of God, modelled by God Himself in Christ Jesus, who has gone to the lowest point in serving us for our good and His glory. Brothers and sisters, if it is possible for a believing wife to win her unbelieving husband through her example, I believe, brothers, sisters, men, women, 
young, old, married, single, widowed, divorced, as the people of God, as we walk in obedience with this unity, with this love, with this humility, with this tenderness of heart, I believe we can have an impact in this world as the world looks on. You know, imagine if Netflix did a documentary on our church, on our community, on on us. And imagine if the world was able to see a community that were less interested in the external veneer and more interested in the heart and loving one another deeply and showing that love in a way that the world looks on and the world glorifies God for how He is at work in our midst. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we we need Your help. We need Your Spirit to work in our church and our community. We need Your Spirit to help us to work out how to live this out. And we need Your Spirit to help us to keep looking to Jesus. We thank You for His humility. We thank You for His love. We thank You for His sacrifice and His example. And Father, we want to pray for... um, all the women in our church, that they would know their worth and their identity and value in Christ. And we pray for wives in our church, that you would enable them to conduct themselves in a respectful and pure way. And Father, we pray for all the men in our church, that we would value the internal more than the external, that we would live in an understanding way, showing honour to women, and for husbands in particular. Uh, would you help them today? to know the gospel that has called both them and their wives together, uh, to be men of prayer, to lead in this way. Father, we we really do pray that the city of Brisbane would, would see us and would see your work among us and that you would get the glory, you would get the honour as we show incredible love, tenderness, humility uh, and affection toward one another. Father, help us when we fall short. Uh, Father, help us when we're in need. And Father, help us to pursue this calling uh, in Christ Jesus for our good, for our joy, and for the glory of your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.